The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. On Family Matters today, we're going to be talking about something that can be very hard to talk about, and that is the physical, emotional, and sexual abuse of a child. I'm Virginia Collin, and my guest is Maya Hope Kidwana. Maya is a survivor with a very powerful story to tell. It's a story of abuse, endurance, and unexpected consequences of breaking her silence. I've read enough of her book, which is called Breaking My Silence, to know that Maya went through an awful lot, and somehow managed to continue to believe that life can be beautiful and people can be kind to one another. So that's what we will be hearing about today. Maya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Virginia. Thank you for inviting me. I, I, I guess a good way to start would be well, you could start either by telling a little about what your early childhood was like or telling why you decided to write a book about it at this point in your life. Okay, my early childhood, I actually have no memory of um, like a toddler or I think my first memory is about seven. Um, for some reason... I do not know why I can't remember anything before that. Um, One of my abuse was um, at eight years old where my mom sent me to live with my grandparents and I got raped by her brother. That was my first experience being abused. It was very difficult. It was a very hard you know, as a child trying to figure out what I did wrong or what I could have done to stop it. And I blame myself for years that I did something wrong. I should have do something differently and that wouldn't happen. Um, the reason why I decided to write a book, I always wanted, I think, in my, the back of my mind, I always wanted to write um, my story, but not ready to publish it. Um, It's just the way I felt after I wrote stuff down. And for years, I kept on writing little notes, even as a kid, and I would maybe throw it away, you know, so people would not find it. And a few years again, you know, I decided to write stuff down. But what made me really, you know, just 
started writing nonstop was when my mom, two years ago, I told her, why can't she love me? And her answer was, you are the one with the guilty conscience because you took my man. And I was just blown away. And I'm like, what are you saying? I took my stepfather. Like, I had the memory of my stepfather. I was nine. And I knew my mom hated me. I just knew that my entire life. I never got love from her. But I never understood why until two years ago. And at that moment, the way I felt, you know, I couldn't take care of my kids. I just felt like I didn't want to leave. And just my mom telling me that put me in a place that I never want to go back. It's just that place that I, I just, I wanted to die basically. But, and, and then all the pain that I've never really experienced or the pain of being raped that I've never even understand came right back at that moment and you know after a few weeks I started writing and I just write and write and I felt I felt free every paragraph I wrote I felt like this person this story I was writing it wasn't about me anymore that wasn't me my experience my you know happen as a kid I could have now forget it and I don't think I'll ever forget it, but it just felt like for some reason I was holding on to that pain and now I can let go of it after writing it. So I don't really understand what you said that your mother said. She said that you took her husband away or you took her yeah. man away. Yeah, so she was she- never married. So she was with um, my stepfather okay. when I was maybe about between nine and 12 uh-huh. and so she made a comment at, to me at 36 years old when I asked her why can't she love me so, so when I'm you were my mom a question so when you were you nine me? nine or 10 or 12 in what was your relationship with your stepfather like I mean was he sexually abusive to no. you no I have no but, memory of him Touching okay. me or so, molesting me, anything, anything so at did all. did he love you? I beg your pardon? Did he love you? Did he care about you? I don't know. <laughs> so, was, I'm just trying to make sense of this. To... What in the world was your mother thinking? Why does she think that you took him away? <laughs> I don't know. That I, make I, any sense I to me. I still cannot understand that. But after she told me that, I decided to come out with my story because I have kept it for over 30 years and I decided to tell my siblings. Surprisingly, most of my siblings already knew I was abused. And here I was keeping that secret. Oh, I thought I was keeping a secret. Mm -hmm. And um, what I found out about what my mom told me when I told my siblings, what I found out is that um, most of them already knew about the situation or whatever happened. And I'm like, what happened? I have no memory of it. And one of my siblings said to me, come on, you're acting like something that happened yesterday. I said, to me it is. Right? If my mom is telling me I am taking her boyfriend away and I have no memory of it, this is like, you know, very raw to me. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you were a toddler. So 
I, I just still can understand it. I'm very happy. I have no memory getting abused as a toddler. But whatever happened to me as a toddler, my mom has blamed me for it my entire life and treated me like crap my entire life because of something I have no control over and I can't even remember. Right. Right. Well, you know, it could have been just that you were an adorable, engaging little kid and your mother's boyfriend enjoyed your company and she was jealous. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. But I remember at 16, she said to me, I could go take him like I could have a relationship with him all she cares. I never really understood what she meant by that until, you know, when I found out what happened. Yeah. Yeah, your story of your family is, it's a little overwhelming uh, because it was not only one uncle and one boyfriend who abused you. It was a series of boys and men in your life. At least 13. Wow. And you say that when you, you tried to keep it a secret, but then when you told your siblings, they already knew. Did, Most of did them. The, did the siblings who were girls have similar experiences? Yes. For my knowledge, um, most of them also have been abused. Mm-hmm. Do you think of that as something that was unusual in the country where you lived? This was just a family, your mom in particular, not good at choosing men and, and a set of people who treated each other worse than most people in the country? Well, at the time, I thought it was just happening to my family, and we could not talk about it. But now I know it's happening. It did not only happen to my family. It's happening everywhere. I mean, it's such a cultural thing in the Caribbean. You know, parents just sleeping with their children and uncles and brothers and no one comes out and talk about it. Right. Because even now that I'm talking about it, everyone is angry with me for something I had no control over, but for some reason they're blaming me, like I'm doing something wrong now talking about this. Well, uh, for the people who can figure out who you're talking about, you are definitely embarrassing some of these men who abused women you know, and children. You know, they would, they, I can understand how the guys would like it better if you didn't talk about this. What's mysterious in these situations is that very often the women, many of whom were also abused, also wish you wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. And what's, what's shocking to me is that some of my siblings that I know that they also were abused, I thought they would support me from, you know, support me because I come out and, you know, they also understand what I'm going through. But I'm confused because they are upset with me for coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have had a number of friends who had experienced some degree of sexual abuse 
mostly women who were sexually abused in childhood, also some men who were sexually abused when they were young. Um, But it's what you are experiencing I have heard of from other women. If you talk about it, that brings it into consciousness, and they don't want to think about it. They don't want to remember how it felt. They don't want to have to go back and and think, yeah, that really happened. That really happened to me, too. Different people Mm -hmm. have different ways that they cope with the abuse. And if anybody talks about it, that can be upsetting. Okay. I I think you mentioned that in uh, when we were emailing each other before the show. You said, you know, some people say, look, you're just dredging up pain. You're just dredging up old stories. How in the world can that actually help you? Well, I am not dragging any pain into my present. It has always been there. All I did was pretend that it was, I pretend very good. I, you know, I was, I had, I had to almost have two masks pretending that my life is perfect and I can move on with my life, but really and truly, I always, it was always in my present. It was never in my past. Yes, you carry the pain with you. Correct. It was never in my past. Right. But your experience has been that when you began to write down, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is, how I, this is what I experienced, this is what I lived through, that did help you to feel better, yes? That was my most therapeutic time. Like, I just, it felt like, you know, I could not stop. I, it took me about two and a half to three months to write this book. I could not stop because I just felt free after writing a sentence. I just felt, you know, I just felt like I do not have to even carry this pain with me anymore. I I don't know how to explain really how I felt, but I just know it was the best thing I ever did because now I could actually move on. Okay. That makes sense to me and that resonates with what I've heard from other people. Um, So, wow. Let's tell, say a little more of what's in your book about what your childhood was like. You moved around a lot. You lived with a lot of different relatives. Let's, let's tell the audience a little more about that. Yeah. And school. Um, my mom has nine kids. And I, the first, I'm the third. The first and the second never really live with her. My great-grandmother basically raised them. So I remember never feeling at home anywhere because I always thinking, okay, when will be the day that I'll, I'll be moving? You know, I never really lived with my mom for three, four years. Um, she would come. She would send me out of friend home. I would get abused there. She would come again, have me for a few months. She would send me at my um, her mom's home, which is my grandmother. I would get abused. She would send me at my great-grandmother. I would get abused. Everywhere she sent me, I got abused. Every single home that I lived in, I got abused. Wow. She, um, I remember at 12, 
she was having an argument with my stepfather, the same one she said that I took or I, I was having something with him, whatever that was. I remember that night he asked me a question. He said, did your mom go to town and did you see somebody I think they were arguing about? And at the time I said, yes, she went to town and yes, she did go to this restaurant. And after I said that, I realized, oh, was I supposed to lie? And my, because right after I said that, she just walked past me. She went into the room. I went into our room. There was just two rooms. Everyone was sleeping in a room. And I got up the next morning and my mother was gone. And my stepfather, which my mom thought I had something with, took his three kids, that was his biological kid, and left. And I had another sister. She went and met her father. And I did not know my father. And he said to me, you're not my child, so you're not my responsibility. Go find your mother wherever she is. And I was left alone. At what and age? I stood by myself. Because I, yes, I had family members and my family is so big. My grandmother has at least 12 kids. But I didn't want to go to those places. I didn't want to go to my grandmother or my great-grandmother or my aunt or anybody else because I have been abused there. So I decided I would prefer being homeless. I would prefer not having anything to eat. I would prefer being by myself than going and live at any of the home. So I remember going in a, in a group. I was in a singing group, and I started hanging around, you know, those people home, well-known people, well-respected in the community. And I started sleeping over there, and she, a few days she asked me, I think two nights after sleeping or three nights, she asked, isn't your mom worried about you? You know, you haven't gone home. I said, well, I don't know where my mom is. So she took me in, and I felt really happy. I felt really safe because, you know, they were, they were such, they were so nice to me, and they were so respected, and everybody was looking up to those family. So I was, I was relaxed. I was, like, you know, happy. I think the happiest maybe in my childhood I, were, you know, I could think of, you know, having breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, and I actually go into school. But one day right. my nightmares just start all over again. You know, all right. before we go back to the nightmares, we're going to take a short break. Um, and Maya, I know that you have a lot more to say about the people who helped you to survive and the things you did later that helped you to heal. So we'll be back in a moment. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. 
we help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Family members too often find themselves in court arguing about separation, parenting schedules, financial issues, divorce, estates, or care of an elderly relative. There's a better way to solve a family problem. Work with a professional mediator in private, confidential meetings. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, talking today with Maya Hope Kitwana, and she is a survivor of extensive childhood sexual and physical abuse and emotional abuse and abandonment. So before the break, we were talking about how when you were, I think, about 12 years old, you were left homeless and didn't want to go live with any of your relatives because whoever's house you lived in, you had been abused. And Correct. then, um, and then someone kind took you in for a while, and maybe for the first time you could remember, you had three meals a day and you could go to school. What happened Correct. next? What happened next? One night, I felt hands under my nightgown, and that's when it happened all over again. And I pretend that I. You know, I didn't know he was doing it. Um, to me, it was easier that a stranger was doing it and not my family. Um, it kept on happening. And just went into touching me, turning into sexual relationship. So that was, I think, the most difficult part of my abuse. When... You know, as a child being abused, you know, I, I knew it was uncomfortable. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was painful. But something happened between 12 and 16, you know, moving into this home that that abuse was different. It wasn't only, you know, coming into the room at night 
and taking whatever they want and not saying a word or just, you know, calling your name or something. It was different where he started telling me beautiful things, you know, um, basically telling you you're beautiful or you can't, or you could do anything or just just things that you never heard before or things that I never heard before from my family because I always get negative comments from my family. So for the first time getting positive comments, I felt like it was okay that I wasn't being raped or I wasn't being abused. And I believe I wasn't being raped for years. It was only um, last year when he asked for forgiveness that I really understood that this was wrong. And I remember telling my counselor and also my psychotherapy that it was the hardest thing for me because I saw it as I did something wrong. Those people took me in, and in return, I had an affair with the husband. That's how I saw it. That's how I felt. That's the guilt I was carrying my entire life for over 20 years for that just this incident that I just felt worthless. How could I do such thing? You know, I had nowhere to go, and they took me in, and re- in return, that's the payment I gave the wife. And I, this was really, really hard for me to live with until, you know, even when my counselor said, how old were you when you were in that relationship that you feel so guilty about? I said, 12. She said, no, you were raped. And I said, no, I I wasn't. And at 37 years old, for some reason, I could not understand that I was being raped because I didn't say no. Because, you know, even sometimes when I was having intercourse, all I wanted to, you know, I would pray and just close my eye and just hoping that it's just done with. Even with all that shame, I still thought I did something wrong and not him. Mm-hmm. And it has affected me in, you know, as a parent, you know, being abused, not only in that situation, but being abused has really, really affected me. In what ways does that affect you as a parent? Well, as a mother, and when my mother was disciplining me, and we call it beat, and they call it spanking up here, but my mom would beat me for every and anything I did. Up, I came to a point that I, it was okay. I never felt pain for some reason. I, my mom would, my mom would beat me and I would not cry. She would beat the hell out of me. She would, she, I remember she bought two, two to three yards of wire, electric wire to beat us. And I remember my last beating where I was bleeding and she just wouldn't stop. And when I became a parent, the first thing I wanted to do to my kid was hit my kid. Mm. If my kid spilled a cup of milk, or water, break something, I would hit the kid. I would hit my son. And by the time my son, turned, my son was about five years old, I realized that 
I am doing exactly what my mom was doing to me, something I said I never wanted to do. But I am becoming my mother. And I noticed that, and I wanted to change it, but it was really, really difficult. So I remember going to a discipline class where it was called One to Three Magic, and children have stress too, and they teach you how to basically discipline your kid. But it took me so many years. I, I think the last time I actually raised my hand on my kid, he was nine. He's turning 15 now. But it was something I had to struggle with. And in that way, I, I say that it affects you as a parent because I remember beating my kid. I loved it because I felt I wasn't really beating my kid for the spill milk or whatever he broke. I was, I was beating my kid for my anger, the anger I felt inside. And when I do hit him, I felt free. I just felt a little less pain of whatever I was carrying with me. And I wanted him to do things so I can actually hit him, so I can feel just that second of just less pain. Mm-hmm. But I knew I was doing something wrong. I knew I wasn't disciplining my kid for what he did. I was disciplining him for my own pain, my own issues, my own baggage. Yeah. That's and wonderful. That's when that... I realized I really need help. I need that to do something differently. I need to break that cycle. And it takes takes a lot of energy and a lot of time, but I'm still working on it. Right. But that is wonderful that you realized this is, I'm doing what my mother did. This is not the way I want to treat my child. I will look for help. And you found help. Yes, I did. You found a um, program that could teach you things about other ways of disciplining a child without inflicting pain and damage. Um, And you found, what, a counselor and a therapist? Yes. I'm still going to um, counseling up to what they like today. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I've heard from other people, too. It, It can take... Years or, you know, sometimes people are in and out of therapy or they work with one counselor for a little while and then they take a couple of years off and then they work with another counselor. But it can take a long time to go through the layers of how your childhood experiences have affected you and how you can change the way you are now. Yeah. What impressed me when I read the first part of your book was that even though you were treated so badly by people who should have cared about you, you would expect your mother and your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents and your cousins, these are people you would expect to care about you, but they treated you badly. And nevertheless, you seem to hold on to a hope that there could be love in your life. Can you say anything about what made it possible to keep that hope? I remember there was a time I wanted to commit suicide. I just thought there is no way I can live with one more pain. And I just want something to take away my pain. I thought of it. But then, I, I don't know... 
I think, you know, I used to say that there isn't a God because why would God allow somebody to suffer so much? But I know that's, you know, that's wrong, that he didn't allow it, but he, he was there to help me survive it. And then the reason why I said that, because my family, really big, half of them were Catholic and half of them were Seven Days Adventists and really, really big in church, even they were different um, church, and um, they always say that if you kill yourself, you go to hell. Now, I don't know how true that is, uh, but at the time, I believe it. So that stopped me from committing suicide because um, I was like, oh, well, I don't want to go to hell. But another thing that came to my mind, I said, if I kill myself, I am, they will not stop. And I always thought that I will, I one day, I will let people know what they did to me. I mean, as you know, I just had that feeling in me that I can, I will, even though I didn't. And I, I said, if I'm dead, you know, I will not be able to help any other girl. And I, and I saw my cousins, you know, knowing that they were being abused. One of my cousins came one day crying, saying, you know, whoever was spitting her vagina. And I just felt like, I felt so helpless. So, you know, that here is this three-year-old getting abused, and I cannot do anything about it. So there was always hope somewhere, even when I thought there wasn't. You know, I get up the next day, and I move on. And there were times I try and forget it, you know, in my 20s, sometimes I, you know, moving, in, moving to Canada, you know, was very helpful because I didn't have to see them anymore. And I just felt safe, safer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I started having less memory of trying, I could actually go days without remembering my pain. And, and that was really good. That was really good. But I, I had hope. Mm-hmm. I always had hope. And I find that the more negative things my parents told me, the more I wanted to prove them, you know, different. Like, you know, you would, do not, you would be nothing in life or, you know, you will never live with somebody or you can't do anything. Like, every time they said those things to me, I just, I was so angry and I just wanted to say, yes, I can. In my mind, even I never said it out loud, I used to tell myself, yes, I can. You know, and my mom did not send me to school, and I remember I didn't, I didn't go to high school. And I remember I, I have to, I have to do this, and I have to survive this. So there was always hope. I don't know where it came from, and I believe it was a higher power, but, and I still have hope. I hope one day that, you know, my goal is to help one person. I say, God, if my story comes out, they'll know themselves and they will think twice before touching another girl or some parent will actually listen to the kid or some person will hear something and take a kid serious and they will, I will save one person. That's my yeah. hope now. That is a huge part of it. To, for a child in this situation to find an adult who believes you and will try to do something to intervene on your behalf, that's huge. I mean, even just finding somebody who believes you is a great start. That's right. Um, 
And then if you can find someone to intervene, that's even better. In the United States, uh, there are laws that say you can't, it's not okay to do this. You could go to jail for doing this. Um, Even if a 12 year old girl thinks that she's having an affair with you while you're raping her, you are still raping her because she is 12 years old. She is not old enough to give consent to participate in a sexual relationship. So here in the United States, Someone who heard a child tell this story and believed the story could contact Child Protective Services and social workers or police would very likely intervene to try to protect the child. Was was there anything like that in the country where you grew up when you were a child? Was any protection available? Well, there should be protection available. The police should be the one protecting us. But, you know, my dad is a police officer. Well, he retired now, and he's a molester. The people I was living with was a detective. So really and truly, as somebody being as a victim, you really don't know where to go. I was raped at a police station. So, you know, for me, it was, you just don't talk. And when I did say something, I got, you liked it, it was your fault, what did you do wrong? It was never, okay, tell me more, let's get help. It was never that. It was always my fault. Every time I said something, it was me to be blamed. Mm. It's amazing that you survived that and, and came through with some ability to believe that you deserved to be loved and with some, some self-esteem, some belief in yourself, despite so many people trying to tear you down. It's hard, but I, yeah. I did it. And That's and, why I just want to tell people it could be done. Yeah. It's really, really, it's a struggle, but it could be done. Okay. Well... We will take another break now because that's a really good place to stop just with the promise or or the hope for so many people who are abused that you can survive this. You can, if you need to later, tell your story and you can have a good life as an adult, even though you were so badly treated as a child. So we'll take a break and we'll be back soon. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Sadly, that's wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, or co-parenting, there is a better way. Family mediation. Save time, save money, and make good plans for your children. Visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's A-P-F-M-N-E-T dot O-R-G. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting 
and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, talking today with Maya Hope Kitwana, who is a survivor of a great deal of sexual and physical and emotional abuse, and frankly, also neglect uh, for her almost her entire childhood. And Maya, nevertheless, endured believed that someday she would be able to say what happened and that her being able to say it would help to protect some other child from having to live through the kinds of experiences that she lived through. So let's let's talk about the transition, Maya. For your whole, most of your childhood, you were abused. You had no experience, no understanding, no witnessing of what a positive, loving respectful relationship between a man and a woman would look like. Correct. And somehow, you know, you, and so here you are a teenager, you've got to at some point be out on your own, and you're hoping that at some point you would be able to marry and have a good marriage. How, what was that, what were those transitional years like for you? It was very difficult. Um, in every relationship right now, I'm in a, a hopefully my last relationship, um, but it was, um, how would I explain that? Feeling like I'm being ripped again every time I had intercourse with my boyfriend. And so it was, it was living in pain. So... In my present relationship right now, thank God, I haven't felt that I'm being raped. And that's only because it takes a lot, a lot out of me to prepare myself before intercourse. And, you know, I remember asking my psychotherapy, when will it stop? When will I have to stop working? Why can't I just be normal? Well, I couldn't really answer that question. You know, it's something I think I will have to work through. 
I'm going to tell you a trauma uh, that I not as well. Um, how would I explain that? Oh, God. Um, there was an incident with, my, it actually happened this year, that something that happened as a kid that affected me right now in my present relationship. I was going to take a shower and I got undressed and my partner looked at me into in, with that sexy look. And to me, it wasn't sexy. To me, it was disgusting. To me, I felt, I, sh- I felt shameful. I felt dirty. And I went into the shower and he followed me and I left the shower. I just walked out. And at that moment, with that look, brought me right back to when my cousin used to look at me and play with himself while I was getting dressed as a child. And for some reason, I could not understand. I, have ne- I never had that experience. I, it was never a problem. I never thought of it. But right there was a trigger. And I could not... It took me a long time to understand that trigger from a trauma that happened so many years ago. So I talked about it um, with my psychotherapy, on, and then I talk about it, you know, with, with my partner. And then he understood for the first time what I am going through. But at that moment, he's like, okay, what did I do now? What did I do wrong? Doesn't she love me? But it's, it is a, it's something you have to work. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime thing. And I, and I just feel like, why do I have to live my entire life having to work through triggers that, that, nev- triggers that I never thought of before, and now I have to work with it? Another trigger actually was really, really hard for me was sleeping, got up, heard a squeaking of a door. My son got up to go to the washroom and I I got up and for a moment I felt like I was a child just for a few seconds. But then I realized, oh no, because <laughs> that's what I heard just before I was getting raped. Just before they came into that room, that door would squeak but it never affected me before. I never thought of it, you know. Mm. But boom, it happened. And I could not sleep that entire night because, yes, I'm a grown woman. I'm in a relationship. But for some reason, that night, I wasn't in that relationship. It brought me back into the past. And this is what I'm trying to work with. Mm. And, and to do that... The person you with, the relationship you get married or you, you have kids, those are traumas you need to learn how, you need to know how to work with because then it can affect the way you raise your kids. Then you can really have a really good relationship. And even now I ask myself, do I really know what love is? You know, I don't think I know what love is because I've never experienced it before. And I have been in other relationships, yes, but it was abusive relationship that I kept a secret. So even in that relationship I'm in now, I think I sometimes, or I always 
have one foot in and one foot out. When will the day come that it's going to end? Because that's mm-hmm. all I know. All I know is moving through one house to another or, you know, somebody always leaving me behind. And it's such a big struggle to, to break that cycle and understand mm-hmm. that you're not this kid anymore. It's easy to say. It's really hard to do. For me, I am still working on that mm-hmm. my past is my past, and I cannot keep on blaming other people or think that everybody else is going to hurt me the way I got hurt. Mm-hmm. But it's, like I said, easy to say, hard to do. So, mm-hmm. yes, it is a struggle in my relationship, and I have two kids, and it is a struggle being a parent. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. You're married say, now, right? Yes. How long have you been married? Uh, long. <laughs> long enough. Long. Long enough. Um, does your husband think that you have one foot in and one foot out? Yeah, we talk about it in counseling. Um, I know it really hurt him when I say things like that, you know, or if he say he loves me and, you know, the counselor asks me, do you love him? And I say, I don't know. How could I know? I I don't, I honestly don't know. If you want me to be honest, I don't know because it's sometimes in, you know, being in a relationship from where I came from, it's just a lot of work and sometimes I'm tired and I really don't want to put myself in a place where I feel like my husband is raping me because he's not. He has never. And I know you could be in a relationship and a husband could rape you. Yes. But he is not, and I don't think he would ever cross that line. But because of my past, I have to work at everything. Or if he says something, or you know, every relationship has problem. If he says something, first, the first place my money, my mind will go, is what I have. What people told me before that you know, nothing. I can't do anything good. Like it just, it's just so hard. They just. You know, abuse just screw you over. It's just so much work if you want to have what you call normal. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's a struggle, but it could happen. It could happen yeah. with your husband's support and, yeah. you know, you get therapy and, you know, you, have, you pick your friends. If people keep on telling you, you know, like some of my friends, I had to pick and choose my friends. My friends would say, oh, counseling is for crazy people or what did you do? Were you acting sexy That's why you, to the men? That's why they did this to you? Those are uh, not the people you need in your life. But I had to learn that. Yeah. I had to learn I need a certain type of people in my life to help me heal and yeah. help me move on. That's true. Really that's, that's a really important point. You do need to choose friends who are going to care for you and believe in you. And you need your partner to be somebody who can handle it when you say, this is not your fault, but something just happened that was a trigger for me. And I'm, I'm feeling crazy and helpless right now. And I, I can't treat you very well right now. Thank you for being patient and staying with me while I get through this. But we never say that. <laughs> we just get angry. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. <laughs> well, well, one thing I, I would say to the listeners, and I learned that, 
if you were abused, and you're getting into a relationship, that person needs to know you were abused. When I got into my relationship, I did tell him that I was abused, but it's a very terrible um, subject. People don't talk about it, so he changed the subject. So at the time, I felt like nobody cares about what I went through. So shut up, move on. So even I needed to talk about it, and I needed him to know he wasn't ready and he did not want to hear about it. So we end up having a relationship, and he not knowing what I went through. And he only found out two years ago when I really came out. So now he's in that relationship with me for years, and now finding out that I went through all those things, it was really hard for him, and I had to understand that because I was really upset. I'm like, I'm the one who went through it. Why are you upset? I am the one who, you know... So, but yeah. now I have to understand that he feel helpless too, and the fact that I tried to tell him years ago and he didn't listen. Now, now he knows all those things. It's just really hard for him to to embrace it, and all that I had to learn. But honestly, at first I was angry at him, angry at him because I'm like, you can be angry at me. I was the one who went through this. But yeah. I understand that he doesn't know how to handle this. He doesn't know what he doesn't know how to talk to me. So that's why we're in therapy to to heal together. And it's sad that he didn't go through it, but now he has to pay for what I went through. So I'm in therapy as a family, yeah. all the kids together and him. And yeah. then I'm in therapy with my son and I, my daughter and I separately, and for my for the two of us and for myself. Uh-huh. Good for you. Good for you. I'm a big fan of, of getting the help that you need. <laughs> yep. Okay. And I we, we have only a couple of minutes left, so I want to be sure to mention that people can find your book and can find more from you online at www.mayahopekitwana.com. Kitwana is K-I-T-W-A-N-A. Um, so, uh, if you want to find the book, the, the book is Breaking My Silence, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, it is, it's a well-written and powerful book, judging from the part that I've read. Thank um, you, Virginia. <laughs> uh, who, who would you most like to have reading your book? Who would you recommend it to? Everyone. Abusers. The abusers need to know that when they do this, this is a lifetime thing they're doing to us. Parents need to also know that we need to listen to our kids. And for people, victims that has been abused or suffering or do not have a voice yet. So basically, it's for everyone. Wow. I did not expect that answer. That's a really good answer. <laughs> Abusers need to know. That yeah, was one of the things that shocked me. It's a lifetime thing. I read your book and I thought, how can all these men, maybe the boys are stupid and they haven't figured it out yet, but how can all these men be doing this to girls and not realize the damage they learned. they're doing? They haven't, you know? Yeah, just how can they not realize the damage that they're doing? So, yeah, they should read the book. Then <laughs> Maybe they get a little bit of an understanding of how important it is that they should learn to control themselves. Um, do you feel like you have written all of your pain out now? Yes. Even all of my pain is not in my book. 
but I did write all of my pain out, <laughs> everything. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 we have a minute left, and I want to mention the question of birth control. Uh, your book describes a large number of moms and dads who had multiple, multiple partners and many children. And just personally reading that, I thought, my gosh, you know, is, is, was birth control assistance not available to these folks? I mean, they clearly did not have the financial and emotional resources to be able to care for a large number of children. So why were they not using birth control so that they would not have children they couldn't care for? And I thought because maybe I it's it not available. Using birth control was the wrong thing, you know. Yeah. Um, having kids is what God put, you know, man and woman on earth to do, and they would. But I didn't believe that. I only have two kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I, I'm glad that we answered that question, that in your particular family, there were religious objections to using birth control. Yes. Um, and I guess different people have different reactions to that. Uh, I know that there are people who say uh, what religion mostly teaches is that we should love each other. And it's not very loving to have 12 kids you can't take care of. <laughs> what, we have a minute or so left. What would you like to add? What would you like to remind people about or, or bring them back to or add to what we have already said? Well, I would, I would like to remind people that it's okay to have a voice and we need to find someone we could trust and talk to. And we need to get help therapy is okay, find the one that you feel comfortable with because not every therapy might work for you. And do not get into a relationship without getting help because it just makes it 10 times harder, you know, to be in a relationship and not dealing with whatever abuse, you know, you've went through. And just talk about it. It makes you feel free by just... I think talking about it, write, write it. You know, if you don't want to publish it, just write it down and, and talk about it. Okay, great advice. Thank you very much. People can find you You're online welcome. at buyahopekitwana.com. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.